0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, his Son, our Savior. Amen. Dear friends of Christ, why do you ask? I don't know. It's a question that I was taught very early in my seminary career. It actually came from Dr. Akimoto in the class that every seminarian dreaded, Lutheran mind. The purpose of the class was to teach us, to train us to think like a Lutheran theologian, And the premise was, the reality was, that we weren't, at least not yet. Everyone wrote and then rewrote the same papers on the theology of the cross, the distinction of law and gospel, sanctification, justification. No paper, no, not one, ever passed on the first try. They all came back with red marks and instructions to rewrite. But I'm not here to whine about the crass class. Eventually it was determined that I had acquired something of a Lutheran mind, Lutheran habitus as they called it. Now what I'd really like to do, I'd like to start with Dr. Akimoto's question. Why do you ask? He pointed out that as the resident theologian of the localized body of Christ and also as members of the community in which the congregation lives and works and seeks to spread the good news of Christ, people are going to come to you with questions hard questions, questions that seek a theological answer. Why did Mary die in a car accident one-on-one? She was my baby. She was only 17 years old. Why do we only allow certain people to come to the rail to partake of the body and blood of Christ if all of us need forgiveness? What is subscription to the Book of Concord anyway? These are the presenting questions, but not the questions you can answer correctly until you understand the reason for the question, the unstated, behind-the-facts motive. Why do you ask? And it is very appropriate, even an essential question to ask, as we come to the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Why does Jesus tell us this parable? Even Is it even a parable at all, or is it just an illustrative story? And to whom does Jesus tell it? And what are the underlying problems or questions in their lives? To what end? Why do you ask? Well, to whom or who is asking the question? We have to tease out of the flurry of parables that are this part of Luke's gospel. Back in chapter 14, we read about the great crowd that accompanied Jesus, which prompted a very harsh discussion about the cost of discipleship, even above above father and mother, even above all that we have. And yet the tax collectors and the sinners keep drawing near to Him at the beginning of chapter 15. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumble. Then we hear about the, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. And chapter 16 opens with, He also said to the disciples, so we've got the great crowds, we've got the Pharisees, the scribes, we have the disciples, and we hear about the dishonest manager, followed by this telling comment from Luke, our narrator. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. Jesus is talking to the broadest possible audience here. Disciple and detractor, the curious and the contentious, ancient and modern. Together, we all hear about the rich man and Lazarus. Why do you ask? Well, one possible answer is Jesus is trying to give us a glimpse of the life beyond the grave. Lazarus died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off, and Lazarus at his side. This is one of the very few glimpses of life after this life that the Bible offers us. And frankly, we're all curious, aren't we? My father died in in the summer that Lynn and I were married, over 43 years ago. I still remember Pastor Huner's words, assurance, that if there was ever a hope of heaven, Wes was certainly included. His fellow elders served as pallbearers, as the faithful heard again the blessed assurance of our coming resurrection in Christ at the end. But what about today, I wondered? What about today, I ask? Was he also in Abraham's bosom? Some of the family joked at the time that Wes was singing with the angel choirs. You see, my my dad was somewhat of a frustrated musician. He played trumpet in the Antonagan High School marching band. He loved to sing in church, but don't ask him to sing a cappella. He couldn't carry a tune. So we comforted ourselves with this image of him singing with the angel choirs, just like Lazarus is comforted in his anguish. But just how accurate is that image? Frankly, the details of the setting, Abraham's bosom and the flame of Hades, really serve as a backdrop for the conversation. The question of the proximity of the rich man and Abraham over against the great chasm that divided them only helps point out that our ideas of space do not apply in that other world. And what does exist there cannot really be put into human language. Lenski summarizes, all arguments regarding the other world that are based on our ideas of physical space are inadequate. That world is spaceless as it is timeless. Well, if the details of the other world defy our ability, can we say anything? Do we learn anything about the afterlife from this little parable? yeah we learn about the finality of God's judgment at the time of death. All mercy ends at the grave. All mercy ends in hell. There is no repentance. There are no appeals. Listen to the measured words of Abraham's response. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none can cross from there to us. Why do you ask? We're not yet at the bottom of the question as to why Jesus tells this story. The parable serves another purpose, perhaps, perhaps to stress the urgency of our care for the poor. The parable gives the, to the poor a face and a name, Lazarus. He's the only individual in any of the recorded parables of Jesus that actually has a name. And what a name it is! Lazarus is the Greek equivalent for the Hebrew Eleazar, which can be translated, God helps, or the one who God helps. Covered in sores that the dogs come to lick, yet God helps. We can't help but see the connection to the spiritually poor, the spiritually bankrupt. Covered in sores, covered in sins, that only the dogs dared to come and lick our wounds. The dogs, that is, and Jesus. He came for my sin. He came for your sin. You are forgiven. Lazarus is carried to Abraham's bosom. Wes is singing with the choir, and we have the certain hope of Christ's resurrection. The one who said on the mountain, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the reign of heaven. But that little breath of gospel aside, Lazarus and the poor are not the rich man's problem. Abraham doesn't say, If only you'd fed Lazarus! If only you'd run off the dogs and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine to soften them. No, Abraham does not say that. Instead, he says, Child, remember that you, in your lifetime, receive your good things, and Lazarus, in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted, and you are in anguish. And it is not just the reception of good things, but the attitude of self-indulgence that fostered. He loved his purple and fine linen, He feasted sumptuously every day. Death changed that, not the attitude. He still speaks with a note of entitlement in his voice. Send Lazarus to dip his finger. Send him to my father. Lazarus, the poor, are no more than a household slave for him to be ordered around for his own purposes. But what has changed is his focus. Send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them that lest they also come to this place of torment. Presumably, they are in the same tax bracket, experiencing the same temptations to ignore the poor and ignore the word of God. But rich or poor has nothing to do with our circumstances after death. Abraham was rich. He had flocks and herds. When Lot was taken captive in Genesis chapter 14, Abram sent forth His trained men, born in His house, 318 of them. That's a household? Oh my goodness, a small city. And yet it is in His bosom, a stock image of heaven in the Judaism of Jesus' day, where Lazarus lay. So it also with the poor. Some will be saved and some won't. In the end, money is not a metric It differentiates. Paul, from our gospel epistle reading, reminds us, we brought nothing into this world. We cannot take anything out of this world. Why do you ask? Well, not really to speak of the needs of the poor. So why does Jesus tell us this parable? I would suggest we find the answer in the single imperative, in the single command we hear on Abraham's lips. Verse 29. They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. If the rich man's brothers are to avoid Hades, they must listen to Moses and the prophets that were read every day in the synagogue. If we are to avoid the flame of Hades, we must hear the word that is read almost every day in this church, but also in our homes, that it may become written on our hearts. When an unnamed woman in Luke chapter 12 sought to praise Mary, the womb that bore you, Jesus replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Why? Because it is the power of God for salvation. Romans chapter 1. The story is told about a, a Christian university student who shared a room with a Muslim. They became friends. Their conversation naturally turned to their beliefs, to their faith. And neither one of them had read the sacred writings of his roommate. So the believer suggested, hey, why don't we read both together? Once a week, alternating books. The roommate accepted the challenge. Their friendship deepened. And and during the second term, his roommate became a believer in Jesus. Well, late one evening, late in the term, he burst into the room and shouted at the longtime believer, "'You deceived me!' "'What are you talking about?' the believer asked. The new believer opened his Bible and said, "'I've been reading through this just like you told me to do, and I just read that the Word is living and active.'" You knew all along that the Bible contained God's power and that the Koran is a book like any other. I never had a chance. And now you'll hate me for the rest of your life? No, but it wasn't a fair contest. It's a cute little story. But do we really believe the punchline? It's straight out of Hebrews chapter 4. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirits, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must all give account. We, you and I, need to hear Moses and the prophets, the law in all of its severity. We need to acknowledge the affront of our sins to a holy and righteous God, to take to heart the woes of Amos. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion, at ease at Redeemer, we feel secure on this side of the Coast Range in our little enclave, our little community. Woe to those who lie on beds of ivory, who seek the approval of the social elite. The law is a sharp, two-mouthed sword, cutting to the depths of our soul. In feeling the pain of those cuts, hearing the law produces true repentance—repentance repentance for not caring for the poor. We don't have to look very far to find Lazarus's successors. Repentance for not living a life centered in the Word, in Christ. Bonhoeffer wrote, Because I am a Christian, therefore every day in which I do not penetrate more deeply into the knowledge of God's Word and Holy Scripture is a lost day for me. I can only move forward with certainty upon the firm ground of the Word of God. Close quote. But the thunder of the law is not the only part, is not the only witness of Scripture. We need to hear Moses and the prophets also speak God's solution, God's promise. The Gospel is always an only promise. The words of absolution, you are forgiven. The words of identity and baptism, you are mine. The words of presence, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So why do you ask? Why did Jesus leave us the parable of Lazarus and the rich man? To impress upon the finality of the judgment, yes. To remind us of the plight of those less fortunate, well, in part. But especially to point us to the scriptures, to the word of God. The spirit works saving faith through that word. And remaining in that word, we too will remain in Abraham's bosoms when we die until Jesus returns at the resurrection of all flesh. Grant this, Lord, to us all. Amen. Now, may the peace which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting.